Message from Starfleet Command, top priority. You are listening to the Trek Ranks Podcast, a member of the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network. This is episode 123, featuring the top five spatial anomalies. Welcome, Star Trek fans. I am Jim Morehouse. I am the host of the Trek Ranks podcast. And tonight, we've got a Trek Ranks exclusive. Pretty sure it's an exclusive. It's one of those crazy specific topics that I'm that I think you're only going to really hear ever on Trek Ranks. Tonight, we're doing the top five spatial anomalies. And I could not be more excited. There's not much better than a good old spatial anomaly when it comes to watching some Star Trek. So I think this is going to be an awesome, awesome show, and we'll be covering some new ground tonight with some uh, interesting picks and a different way to look at Trek. And for a topic like this one, we went all the way to Starbase 80 to get two great Trekkies. First up, Starbase 80. Yes. What? (laughs) Those guys. First up, (laughs) returning for his 17th appearance on Trek ranks. I really need to stop tracking all these at 17. It's our good friend and the host of Weekly Trek. It's Dominion Propaganda Minister, Mr. Alexander T. Perry. Welcome back, Alex. Hello, hello, Jim. Thank you for having me. Excited to have you back on for this topic. And our <laughs> second guest is another Trek Ranks veteran returning for her fourth overall appearance. It feels like more. Hailing us from the Wisconsin expanse, it's Abby Summer, the host of First Flight. Welcome back, Abby. Thank you for having me as always. And this is extra fun for me because the first time I was on Trek Ranks, I talked to you two fine gentlemen, and here I am doing it again. That's right. I didn't even realize that when I locked you guys in, we did buzzer beaters in episode Mm -hmm. 92, which was another cool Trek Ranks topic. All right. This is going to be a great, great show. Let's get into our Trek Ranks recalibration. What is it? Spatial anomalies. We're passing through a field of them. Hold on. As regular listeners will know by now, general order number one of the Trek Ranks charters that we love Trek and we love to rank Trek via some deep dive topics just to get the conversation started. And remember, it's not about the ranks. That's just our excuse to talk about Star Trek. We love it all from TOS to TNG, straight through the Enterprise and the Kelvin timeline. Now Discovery is short tracks and Star Trek Ricard, Lower Decks, and Star Trek Prodigy as well. It's all fair game here on the Trek Ranks podcast. Infinite diversity in infinite combinations, symbolizing the elements that create truth and beauty. That's right, Mr. Spock. No wrong answers. Not about being right or definitive in any way. It's just about sharing the things we love about Trek. Black alert. Black alert. And a reminder that this episode of Trek Ranks is current through 813 episodes of Star Trek, which currently translates through the complete second season of Lower Decks and the first two episodes of the amazing Star Trek Prodigy. And a final reminder that we use episodes as a shorthand term, but the 13 films are always in play as well, and they could be in play tonight. Have boosted power to the communications bandwidth. We appreciate that, Mr. Kim. You can find Trek Ranks on subspace at trekranks.com. You can contact me directly on Twitter at Trek Ranks or at Enterprise Extra. You can also call and leave us a message with your own picks at 609-512-LLAP. That's 609-512-5527. Okay, Alex and Abby, why don't you guys let everybody know how they can get a hold of you on subspace, Alex? 
You can find me on Twitter at Alexander T. Perry, and you can find my weekly Star Trek news show, Weekly Trek, also on the Tricorder Transmissions at Weekly Trek. Essential podcast listening. And how about you, Abby? You can find me at Abby M. Summer. That's S-O-M-M-E-R. Find my podcast, First Flight, an Enterprise Rewatch podcast at First Flight Pod. And I host it with the wonderful Melanie, who's at Shuttle Pod 2. And we are proud members of Tricorder as well. Also essential podcast listening, your Enterprise Rewatch. I love it. All right, we're going to move straight into our prime directives right now and talk a little bit about spatial anomalies and figure out how everyone narrowed down their list. But what you're proposing is exactly the kind of tampering the prime directive prohibits. Okay, so spatial anomalies, they can be a lot of different things. There's a lot of ways to look at this. So Alex, we're going to start with you. How did you define your prime directive and and lock in your picks? Yeah, so I I started off trying to write down all of the episodes that featured an anomaly, and I got to 25, and I decided, (laughs) and I was nowhere close to being done, and I thought, you know what, this is probably not the most productive way to start. So then I went back and started to rethink what kind of anomalies did mm-hmm. I want to feature on my list? Because obviously you've got subspace anomalies and temporal anomalies, and you've got you know all different kinds of anomalies, spatial yeah. anomalies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I decided that the anomalies that I thought were really interesting were ones to which there is more to it than meets the eye. So that was my prime directive, that it's an anomaly that through the course of the episode, you discover something about that anomaly that adds extra depth, whether it's to the anomaly itself, to a particular character on the show. So more to it than meets the eye. I am so excited. That is that is very different than mine. And yeah, there's so many different kinds of anomalies. So Abby, how about you? All right. So I'm kind of infamous for having massively complex prime directives. So the first thing I did was I looked up the formal definition of what a spatial anomaly was on multiple Star Trek sites. And that did not help me at all. No, there's then- so many. It's so broad. It's so broad. Yeah. <laughs> maybe something would like spark in me, but it it, it was not helpful. So then I decided that I was going to narrow it by the anomaly has to be a big part of the episode and Mm -hmm. crucial to the plot. Even if it's not on screen for very long, it has to be like the thing in the episode. Got it. And then I brainstormed and I was just like Alex and I got way too huge of a list. And that's when I started thinking, okay, normally I try to make sure I don't repeat a series because there's so much good Trek out there, but I was really having a hard time cutting someone's just to have more series represented. So I decided just to make it simple. I did limit myself to not repeating anything I've picked on Trek ranks in the past, but I just kind of went with my big list and then picked my favorite five. And I know that some are not the greatest episodes overall, but they're episodes that I enjoy every single time I watch them. And that was enough for this. Okay. I love these two. This is so good. Alex, did you do your every series thing? No. Um, I tried to, uh, (laughs) there are two episodes from one series on my list. So, I, and in honor of you, Abby, I made I had a I have a very rare, complicated uh, prime <laughs> directive as well. So I'm I, I you know I started to jump in and and I was thinking about all the different types of anomalies and and I just realized there's just so many. So I 
I made a list of the things I'm going to avoid, which Alex, you talked about a, a few of them. So, so I think this might be my most specific prime directive ever. I'm avoiding temporal rifts, temporal anomalies. I'm avoiding any kind of metaphysical anomaly, you know, <laughs> the kind of thing that's maybe an alternate existence or alternate realm. I eliminated uh, organic or sentient anomalies, like like big old space amoebas. So, <laughs> so I think in terms of my picks, and the best way to describe it is that they kind of feel like like weather, like bad weather or storms or atmospheric issues. So yeah, so I avoided temporal rifts, the metaphysical stuff, uh, organic anomalies, and I just went for naturally occurring phenomena. Basically, there's a few areas where there's some there's some wiggle room here. So like storms in space. All right. So but but having said that, some of these check more than one box too. So so it can be kind of tough. All right. And I, I have a few heavy hitters and I think I have a couple of deep cuts. So we'll see what everyone else has. Looks like we could be all over the place, but we you never know. We could still easily have some duplicates for sure. And we're going to have lots of secondary systems. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. I think we're ready. Let's do this. Wait, 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 wait. Oh. You didn't say why we're doing top five anomalies. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. The whole point of this show. Thank you, Alex, is that we are doing... This is a preview show. I should have done that in the uh, level one diagnostic, but this is our preview show for the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery, which is clearly being set up as some kind of big spatial anomaly as the foe or the challenge that uh, the crew is facing. And we can say this now because it's out there. The, we have the four, the first four episode titles and curiously, one of the episodes, I think it was the second one, right? Yep. Alex? Yeah. Episode two, yep. Is titled Anomaly, which even more curiously, as I was looking at that and talking to uh-huh. you, Alex, this is the first time in Star Trek history that the exact same title has been used twice. In, and that will be in you know 800 and probably 16 episodes. So there's been, you know, first contact's been used twice, but not quite the same title. Emissaries used twice, not quite the same title. First, first contact, not quite the same title. (laughs) One has an, has a the or an an or. Something like that. Yeah. Close, but not quite. Okay. (laughs) Let's do this first coup decaton. Introduce us to the new order of things. It'll be alphas like us that determine the future of this quadrant. That will be the new order of things. Thank you, First Kadekaton. And as always, just a quick reminder on how we're going to go through the order of things. First, everyone will start with their five-word summary and a hashtag to tease their pick. Then we'll each reveal our top five spatial anomaly and the specific reasons that we're highlighting it, and also one episode that best represents that pick. And at the end, we'll ask everyone for a few secondary system selections for the picks that just missed our list. And as always, if we have any duplicate picks, make sure you listen for the Defiant Torpedoes. Okay, Alex, we're going to start with you. What's your <laughs> what's your number five pick for your top five spatial anomalies? All right. Five word summary. Spock senses it from afar. Hashtag it measures 12 AU in diameter. I'm going yes. for the largest <laughs> anomaly possible. It, it's actually only the second largest anomaly on my list. This is a Vija from Star Trek The Motion Picture. Oh my nice. lord. I was getting ready to write down the space amoeba from immunity <laughs> syndrome from your five words, but you tricked me. Vija from the motion picture. Spectacular. That is so it's good. A- 
it, this is a whole movie about an anomaly. Wait, this and is only the second largest one? Correct. What's bigger than V'ger? I will find out. <laughs> You'll we'll find, find out. out. I'll stop thinking. This is a whole movie about an anomaly. It begins with a trio of Klingon battle cruisers encountering an unknown spatial anomaly and getting themselves digitized in the process. It takes us probably about half to two thirds of the movie to even understand what the thing is, what's inside of it, the fact that it's a giant ship and not just like a floating cloud moving through the beta and alpha quadrant. And it ends with the revelation that it is this giant spaceship that is powered by an old earth satellite and that it's not an anomaly at all. See, more than meets the eye. It's <laughs> just a giant spaceship. So it's like, it's the anomaly that's not actually an anomaly, but that's about the whole movie. And that was far too cute for me not to put it on my list. But it totally is a space. I mean, it's an anomaly. That's what, yeah. that's yeah. the whole, it's the whole something point of the movie. Unknown, until you right? find like, out what it, yeah. what it is exactly. Yeah. No, brilliant pick. I love it. Totally tricked me. Uh, it's, I mean, listen, the motion picture is near and dear to my heart. I love this pick. Abby, what's your take? Yeah, the motion picture is near and dear to my heart as well. And I feel like it's having a resurgence lately of people who are coming out. And that's really nice. And I did not think of this one even on my long list. So bravo, Alex. That is an awesome, awesome pick. And I love all the layers you're peeling back to get to it. So kudos. What a wonderful way to start this out. I I love it. This is I didn't think of it either. Absolutely not. So this is good. I also have just thought about like four anomalies that are bigger than <laughs> Beecher. So there's a lot of anomalies bigger than Beecher. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, let's go to Abby's number five pick. All right. My five words are destruction in six hours time. Hashtag two Picards. And my episode is Time Squared from TNG. And that's season two, episode 13. Now, oh, oh, wait a second. What? Holy, f- what a pick. Go. <laughs> well, can wow. I just- I'm blown away by this pick. I am blown away by this pick. So good. You have no idea how much that makes my heart sing. Oh, my God. But, well, this episode is really special to me because I was the kid who had my Star Trek encyclopedia that only went through season six of TNG. And I was checking off the episodes as I saw them wrote in my own season seven list as it aired. And this was the last episode that I checked off. This was completed TNG for me when I was a kid. And it was so built up in my mind and it didn't disappoint me. Like I love this episode. The, The camera angles are amazing. The acting is phenomenal. It's just such a cool idea. And even though the energy vortex doesn't show up until 31 minutes into the runtime, it's the entire reason that this plot unfolds. And it does have instincts. So maybe it's a life form, maybe not. So I don't know where this would fall on your list, Jim. But it's so interesting to think about what it's doing and why it's doing it. And it's beautiful. I remember the first time I saw the effect of the enterprise getting sucked down into the energy funnel. And I just was blown away with how neat that looks and how dangerous it looks at the same time. And I love the way the last 10 minutes of this episode, just kick it into high gear. And it always makes me just chuckle at poor O'Brien who is left in the cargo or in the shuttle bay at the end 
with the dead slash stunned Picard. <laughs> Pulaski checks him, walks off right past him, doesn't say a thing, just leaves him there. And O'Brien is like, yep, that happened, <laughs> which just cracks me up so every good. time. And I love that the end of this episode, after it's kind of ramped all this tension up and it gets so high, is a very quiet scene where Picard is sitting there ruminating on meeting himself and not really wanting to do it again and just staring out into the stars while deep thinking. And that right there is classic TNG Picard. So I couldn't not pick this one. I I love the mood. This episode is really underrated for it's just eerie. It's very Twilight Zone, like very moody. It's, it's cool. And this is a brilliant, brilliant pick for a spatial anomaly. I'm putting this one down as kind of like a weather thing, but Alex, what's your take on Times Square? I totally agree on how underrated it is. It's a fabulous pick. I didn't think of it, and I'm annoyed at myself for not thinking of it. The <laughs> That shot of the Enterprise hanging over yeah. the vortex, like being sucked inside, that should be a much more iconic image than it is because it's so cool. It's probably one of the coolest effects yeah. from the first two seasons of The Next Generation. I mean, that is how good it is. And that whole kind of sense of foreboding dread that exists over the whole episodes and the eventual appearance of this anomaly, like the cause of the reason why Picard left the ship and now there's two of them is so, so good. That's it. The foreboding dread. That's exactly the right term. All right. I love this pick. So, so good. Uh, All right. Let's close out round five with my pick. Five words and a hashtag. There are always alternatives and anomalies. Hashtag Worlds like some angry blight in space. And this is the Murasaki 312 Quasar from TOS Season 1, Episode 13, The Galileo 7. And basically, the Murasaki 312 Quasar is one of my favorite things from when I was a kid. It's super bright. It's like powerful electromagnetic phenomenon that's, you know, quasars are like supposed to be like massive black holes. Uh, They kind of look like hurricanes with a nucleus, like the eye of a storm at the center. So when I came up with this topic, I kind of knew Murasaki 312 was going to be on my list. I love the special effects from the original TOS, but also really great job on the remastered with the green. And it's just got this cool swirling effect and it's modeled after what, uh, what quasars look like. And my hashtag worlds like some angry blight in space is from Kirk's opening uh, captain's log when he's lost Spock and he's lost the Galileo 7. Captain's log, stardate 2821.7. The electromagnetic phenomena known as Murasaki 312 whirls like some angry blight in space, a depressive reminder that seven of our shipmates still have not been heard from. Equally bad, the effect has rendered our normal searching systems useless. Without them, we are blind and almost helpless. It was referenced again in Data's Day, which I didn't know until I was looking it up and taking some notes. And They did a long-range scan of it as part of the day's monotony. So I love it. I love it. And I will say that Abby and Alex, yes, I chose this the last time we were on together. We (laughs) We did buzzer beaters, and I chose the Galileo 7 because... That was Spock's buzzer beater to escape the Murasaki 312, but I had to do it again. I'm sorry. It is the Murasaki 312 Quasar. Alex, what's your take? Hey, a cool anomaly sets up a cool buzzer beater. So, I mean, they do go together. (laughs) Pretty much. Pretty much. How about you, Abby? Any 
thoughts on this one? This is a great episode. And I am glad that you pointed out that both the original special effect and the remaster are so good because that's one of the things that I always think about this episode too. Sometimes it takes away this time. It really doesn't. And what a neat thing. And that might be possibly the most poetic hashtag that I've heard in a long time. So beautiful. It whirls like some angry blight in space. Well said, (laughs) Captain Kirk. Okay. Let's go to round four. Alex, what's your pick? Five word summary. Delphic Expanse has sinister origins. (laughs) Hashtag your face is cracked. This is Star Trek Enterprise season three, episode 15, Harbinger, in which we finally learn the origins of the Delphic Expanse. Bigger than V'ger. This is the biggest anomaly on my list. It is the Delphic Expanse, which fuels millions of much smaller anomalies and is an attempt by the sphere builders to change the space within so that they can take over and the battle of Procyon 5 is what finally defeats them. You know, I I wanted to feature the Delphic Expanse. I think it's a really cool idea, the sort of uh, the way in which it's sort of set up in the Expanse, the season two Enterprise uh, finale as being this sort of very sinister area in which, you know, Vulcan ships have gone in and everyone's come back mad and nobody wants to go in there. And Archer's like, well, we have to because we've got to go find the Zindi. Do you know where these coordinates he gave you are? At warp five, about a three-month trip. They're inside the Delphic Expanse. What's that? A region of space nearly 2,000 light years across. Vulcan ships have entered it, but only a few have returned. Sounds like you're talking about the Bermuda Triangle. There have been reports of fierce and dangerous species, unexplained anomalies. In some regions, even the laws of physics don't apply. 20 years ago, a Klingon vessel emerged from the Expanse. Every crewman on board had been anatomically inverted. Their bodies splayed open, and they were still alive. You'd be more than foolish to pursue this course of action. And over the course of the season, you s- it, they start peeling back the onion. More than meets the eye. It's a risk I'm willing to take. And I imagine most of my crew would be with me. In Anomaly, you discover the spheres. And then by the time you get to Harbinger, you meet the sphere builders and start to understand kind of what the point of the anomalies and the Delphic Expanse itself is and why it's never previously been referenced in Star Trek, uh, which I recall at the time being something that people were very bent out of shape about. <laughs> so stupid. And, yeah, and, and um, you know, Harbinger is mostly remembered for the trip to Pulse stuff, but the Sphere Builder arc is actually a really cool one, and this is the episode that starts it. That's awesome. So this was my toughest cut, was uh, the Delphic Expanse. I love... I love how it's just the catalyst for all of season three. It's really cool. The, I, I, you just said it. And I, one of my favorite things about it is that it basically at the end of the season, it ceased to exist, which is so such a cool thing. The way they stuck this into the middle of uh, the narrative and it didn't upset anything that was happening after I would have picked the episode anomaly, which is, I love that you picked Harbinger because that's kind of the revelation and the anomaly is kind of the first peel back of the onion where I yep. just I'll never forget that first time they went through the spatial rift and into inside one of the, the spheres 
um, atmospheres. It was just the gravimetric energy. It was so cool. So, so cool. I love, love this pick. I love the uh, Delphic Expanse. I love season three of Enterprise. Fantastic pick. Uh, Abby, what's your take? Well, obviously, I have tons to say on any Enterprise episode, but <laughs> yeah. uh, one of the things that I really like about this one is that at the end of this, with the Sphere Builder and all that, Archer gets just enough information to know that the spheres and anomalies are connected and it's not good, but nothing mm-hmm. else. And that leaves the tension so high at the end of this episode, because now you have to go back and reassess all the other anomalies that you've ever seen on Enterprise and that they've encountered in the Expanse and gone, oh, well, now that I know this, and it's just such a reframing and such a good push into the second half of this season. Yeah, that's that's a that is a cool reveal. Is that the end of Harbinger when he's looking at the map and it's yeah. like everything's yeah. connected? Yeah, because I was thinking because the end of Anomaly, he's looking at the same screen and it's the Zindi database downloaded yep. for the first yep. time yep. that they found inside of it. That's super cool. And I will note that there was no way I was going to be guesting on a show with the co-host of First Flight. <laughs> an Enterprise Rewatch podcast and not pick an Enterprise episode for part of my list. Fantastic. Oh. An awesome, awesome pick. Okay, Abby, how about you? What's your number four pick? Okay, round four. My five words are happy warped second birthday, Kess. Hashtag distortion ring. And my episode is Twisted from Voyager season two, episode six. <laughs> oh, uh, so good. So good. I, I did think of this one. I didn't pick it, but I love it. I love this pick. Well, I, this is great to talk about. Yeah, I have to say, like, this is not by any means going to make your top 10 of Voyager, but it is one of my favorite bottle episodes. I mean, they saved a whole lot of money on sets in this one because they spent so much time in the hallways and it's just fun to see. And I like that the distortion ring seems to be malevolent and it turns out it just wants to share data. Could you find anything that's kind of more Star Trek-y than that? And aside from the horrible jealous Neelix, There's a lot of character development for all of our cast in this episode. And I really like Voyager episodes where you see all of the core cast, plus some extras here and there, interacting and working on things together. That's when I think Voyager really shines in a way that other shows don't always do as well. They are such a family that it's neat to see them doing this. And the last scene where they're always, where they're just sitting there waiting to be distorted It's just nice. It's heartwarming. It's gentle. It's a great juxtaposition on the sci-fi story. And it just satisfies me when I watch this episode. And so it had to make my list because I couldn't get it out of my head. Alex, what do you think of the distortion ring? Phenomenon. (laughs) You know what? This was the first complete episode of Star Trek Voyager. I ever watched oh, and while wow. it certainly would not make my top 10 20 <laughs> 30 yeah 50 70 <laughs> 90 120 150 <laughs> episodes of Star Trek Voyager it did convince me to watch a second one so they we can say that about it um yeah i mean it's a really you know as much as I, I, I personally think the episode is really boring. It the 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 anomaly concept behind it is cool. a really fascinating one, and I and I agree. I love that flip at the end 
of them expecting, you know, this is it, our tickets up, we're going to get, you know, phenomenomenomenom, <laughs> and, and, you know, Janeway's, ha- you know, delirious because her hand got stuck in it, and that's going to be the end of it, and then it just passes over, and it's like, oh, no, it just transmitted some information to us, and now it's moving on our way. It's a very, you know, it's 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 sort of a very Star Trek-y ending, right? Because they don't understand this thing. They think it's a threat. They spend the whole episode treating it like it's a threat when actually it was just an invitation and uh, and somebody saying hello. Yeah, that's that's a cool thing. All right, so I just looked it up. It's number 133 on Trek Ranks Voyager. <laughs> My five words is plotting execution belies a strong idea, which is See? basically what we just said. So, <laughs> yep. Okay, and I will also say it is the first time it's ever twisted has ever been chosen on yes. Trek Ranks. <laughs> it's amazing. Captain, we have encountered an unusual phenomenon. 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 Okay, let's go to my and the Darkling has been picked on Trek ranks. Sure has. Sure has. Remember that. What what was that? Uh, Guilty pleasures, right? Yeah. All right, my round four pick: five words and a hashtag. Batten down the nacelle hatches, hashtag criminomalies. And it is Enterprise Season 2, Episode 12, The Catwalk. Yes. And it's a Class 5 Neutronic Storm Wavefront. And, man, you talk about some cool special effects that stand the test of time. I love the look of this episode and the Neutronic Storm Wavefront. It spans half a dozen light years and it's filled with plasma energy and radiolytic isotopes that are deadly to humans. <laughs> oh, and by the way, it travels at high warp, like warp seven. So <laughs> this thing is freaking dangerous. Captain Archer, the starship Enterprise. Something we can do for you? Considering the circumstances, we would like permission to come aboard as soon as possible. What circumstances? The neutronic wavefront. It's almost here. Nothing on sensors. You should detect the storm in a few minutes. It's traveling at high warp. Once we're aboard, I suggest that you go to warp seven immediately. Our top speed is warp five. And uh, yeah, it's just a really cool looking episode. I love the crew moving into the catwalk. Like you've said, I mean, this is number 72 for me at Trek Ranks. It's not necessarily the best episode ever. Some of the execution is a little wonky. Everyone's being really petulant up in the nacelles. And I'm thinking, man, guys, you're lucky to be alive. <laughs> why, why are you complaining about movies? And You see chef's feet? <laughs> and chef's yes. feet. Yeah. Oh, yes. But I actually love the, the plot where the other aliens are able to travel through the neutronic space and, uh, and try to jack up the Enterprise. So anyway, cool episode, the catwalk. Uh, Abby, what's your take on this one? Okay, I like this episode too. And this was a hard cut for me. So I'm really glad you picked it. And again, I think one of the reasons this one resonates for me, it's because the entire crew is coming together to do something to try to stop or survive or get through the anomaly. And there are some iffy moments in there, but I like some of the character moments you get too. And it's such a nice, again, juxtaposition between the sci-fi story and then what's actually going on with our people. It's a beautiful episode. Yeah, love it. How about you, Alex? 
Oh yeah, I love this one. This is uh, I'm always pleased when I hit the catwalk on my enterprise rewatches. The you know it's just that sort of like that feeling of of danger associated with it, where you know your later starship crews would just go around it, raise the shields, right. whatever. But these guys have to like shut down their whole ship, go hide in the warp nacelles, <laughs> and that's their only possible way of making it through. And then you have uh, you know there's sort of the subplot with the with the villains, the guy who played. The Herogen Alpha from the Killing Game, whose name I can't remember right now, uh, also plays a very kind of scary guy who sits in behind the captain's desk like he owns it, just like yeah. he did in the Killing Game. Um, and uh, yeah, this episode is a lot of fun. I really like it. If I if I had not had my, there has to be more to it than meets the eye, which eliminated yes. this one. This yep. definitely would have been my Enterprise anomaly pick. Um. That actor's, I can't think of that actor's name, but he was also in Nor the Battle to the Strong. Yes. Yeah. Um, a really, really good actor in, a, in a quite a few treks. You actually could say more than meets the eye with the, with the criminomalies guys that showed up. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or not. Let's go to round three, the soup round. Alex, what's your number three pick? Eat your soup, courtesy of a loyal establishment, Joland Troop. All right, straight from my list of top five comfort episodes, the five-word summary is Picard's warp core smiley face. Hashtag, (laughs) you'll never see the runabout aft compartment again. This is Star Trek The Next Generation, season six, episode 25, Timescape. And what a shame. What a shame that we never saw it again. I know. We never saw it on Deep Space Nine when they used the runabout. So anyway, I love this episode. Everything about this episode, I love it from start to finish. The banter in the runabout aft cargo bay. <laughs> he just kept talking in one incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic. It was really quite hypnotic to them discovering this strange scene in which the Enterprise appears to be engaged in battle with a Romulan warbird. There's these there's these time anomalies happening, and it's frozen in time, and they beam over to the bridge, and there are Romulans on the bridge, and in sickbay, a Romulan is shooting Beverly Crusher, and there's damage everywhere, and then they're like, what the hell is going on? And slowly you come to understand it's because some aliens who reproduce Here's where more than meets the eye. So there's these aliens who reproduce uh, in a black hole, and they thought the Romulan warbirds, artificial singularity, was the same thing, and it all went wrong. And the Enterprise tried a energy conversion, and uh, Crusher's not actually being shot by a Romulan. She just wandered into the way as the guy was shooting somebody else. Everything about this episode is super cool. Picard putting a smiley face into the exploding warp core, which is exploding mm-hmm. so slowly. It's just this fixed cloud that's just, that's, you know, kind of um, increasing ever so slowly. I love this episode. I could rewatch it a thousand times and still love everything about it. And the idea of them beaming over and there's this mystery and everything stuck in time is super cool. The execution is super cool. This is a great episode and it's a great anomaly. And did, what what happened? So they had like these pockets of like yeah, like space fractures ex- time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the yep. in the local area, such that you've got these little pockets oh, of space yeah. time. So some of which are moving, uh, which are all moving at different speeds. That's so, right. Because they like 
Fresh, yeah, yeah, right. Temporal anomalies. Yeah, because like the the bowl of fruit immediately becomes yep. rotten. Yep, yep. And, and the, the long fingernails. And the long fingernails. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> really creepy. Yes, um, it is. <laughs> and then the and then the like the the one big anomaly right at the source is yep. the one that's captured both the warbird and the enterprise. And yeah, that right, one right. time yeah, is moving all, very yeah. very slowly. I liked when the nacelle hits it, and all of a sudden the the fuel's empty. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's good. It's been running for forty three days now. Yep, or whatever. Yep. Cool. Okay, I love this. A great episode, by the way. Timescape worthy of any comfort food episode. It is absolutely a comfort food episode. I love it. Totally rewatchable. Abby, what's your take? Timescape. <laughs> this is one of my favorites too of the season. I just think it's so nice, and I like that scene in the F compartment too, where you get to see them being a little bit more casual, and that's not something that you always see, especially with Picard. And I, I love the conversations and. I think it's so neat to think about time fracturing like that Mm -hmm. because, wow, they really thought of a lot of the little things that could go wrong. And I appreciate the writers that did that because you're right. It wouldn't just be the big things. There'd be a whole lot of small things like the creepy fingernails that all of a sudden be like, oh, I didn't expect that one. And that's just a neat thing to do. And I love that the Romulans have a totally different way of making their engines go. And I wonder if this is the first time that this happens. Do these aliens come back and try it again? Do they write a paper and submit it to the high council and say, or to the Senate and say, hey, guess what? <laughs> Maybe we need to be careful about this because, whoops, we fractured time. <laughs> but what a great episode. I love it. If it was lower deck, somebody would have definitely had to write a paper about it. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. Fantastic. Fantastic pick. Okay, Abby, let's go to your super round pick. What do you got? All right. Well, guess what? Pew, pew, pew. Um, my five words, canary in the coal mine, hashtag disintegrating sphere builder. And I also picked Harbinger. Yes. Oh, cool. That's great. I was going to say, did you? Did you actually pick the same episode? Yeah, awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I have lots of thoughts about this episode, which I have a huge soft spot for, but we'll get to that (laughs) at some point on First Flight. So ignore the trip into Paul plot, ignore Malcolm and Hayes. This is the first time we see the sphere builder in our space. And like Alex said, you start to make all those connections and it just makes everything start clicking into place. And I love it. And that anomaly itself It's so bubbly and colorful, yet really creepy. And one of the things that I like is when they kind of go into it a little bit, when they're trying to rescue the pod and the coloration effect on the bridge, they color to Paul slightly greener than everybody else. And it's those kind of little details. I'm like, oh, look at that. That's so cool. And I mean, this episode has everything. It's got grappler action that pod that the alien is in is so cool looking and you get the shot where you're like looking at people looking in the pod which is so neat you get to get your puzzle pieces starting to line up and that sphere builder is smart enough to realize after he gets yanked out that if he can go through flocks and go through walls he's just going to walk straight to where he needs to be and he's going to walk through everything except the floor so i mean Hey, great Star Trek trope. I know, right? It's perfect. And uh, this episode just is fun for me and it continues that bigger arc. And I really like where it fell in the middle of the season to kind of kick everything into high gear for the end. I'm not sure you can frame it any better than that. It's just the. It's just a really underrated episode with the. I mean, you've you've mentioned the the guy in the 
that uh, contraption that they have that pod it that it's special so cool. effect is so so cool it just looks really good uh alex anything else to add about the delphic expanse and or harpier love it go enterprise yes <laughs> so good i will add that uh those idiots the trianons and the stupid chosen realm and their doctrine yeah idiots dummies you guys are suckers okay let's close out the soup round with my pick and this is crazy this is the first time that this episode has ever been picked on trek ranks and it blew me away when i looked that up and realized it because i was when i picked it i was thinking I need to look at this. So I'm glad this episode is finally getting some direct recognition because it rules five words and a hashtag anomaly trilogy spins, interesting web hashtag that took almost 30 years to complete. It is TOS season three, episode nine, the Tholian web and the spatial interface, oh. AKA interspace or the interphasic rift. And I, I mean, I've loved this episode since I was 10 years old. And I think the best way to describe it is it's like, it's like a fractured space where I think Spock actually says it's like different realms are laying on top of each other and a bunch of universes are intersecting and the fault line. It's like the fault lines of an earthquake, basically. It just kind of creates instability. And just in case anyone thinks that I'm going against my prime directive, because I'm choosing something that's kind of a alternate realm type of anomaly, I don't count it because the front end of this is just shattered space. So they don't, we don't know. We actually don't know what this space where it leads to or anything until 30 years later, <laughs> when we see it introduced again in, in a mirror darkly, which just blows my mind that star Trek enterprise. And I've talked about this on Trek ranks before, because I love in a mirror darkly. And I love the defiant, the ship that's lost in the Tholian web. When, when they rolled around and connected this episode with mirror, mirror and with the Tholian web so that basically inner mirror darkly is a sequel to the Tholian web, but it's a prequel <laughs> to mirror mirror. So this trilogy goes in order, the Tholian web in a mirror, darkly mirror, mirror. And it's absolutely perfection. Only in Star Trek, baby. Only yeah. in Star Trek. And you have something like that happen. It's really, really cool. The unlikely trilogy. Computer working. Compute the next period of spatial interface. Two hours and 12 minutes? Why, that power leak has unbalanced the ship and she's starting to drift. I can't hold her in place that long. We must try, Mr. Scott. The fabric of space is very weak here. If we disturb it, there will be no chance of retrieving the captain alive. We exist in a universe which coexists with a multitude of others in the same physical space. At certain brief periods of time, an area of their space overlaps an area of ours. That is the time of interphase during which we can connect with the Defiance universe. Mr. Spock, we will be able to retrieve the captain at that time, won't we? Yes. However, the dimensional structure of each universe is totally dissimilar. Any use of power disturbs it. If we are not extremely careful, we shall lose the captain and become trapped ourselves. Yeah, anyway, I love this episode. It's literally mesmerized me since I was 10 years old. I love it. Oh, and I'm going to say so one more thing. And I, I never realized this until I was doing some research. One of the writers on this episode is named Judy Burns. And I want to give her a shout out. She's this has this long TV writing career, which I never knew. She's a Magnum PI, MacGyver, $6 million man. 
And she wrote The Tholian Web when she was 20 years old. Wow. wow. How crazy is that? She was, it was an unsolicited script with her friend Chet Richards. Wow. And, and that just blew me away. I had no idea. Judy Burns, shout out. Uh, Abby, what's your take on The Tholian Web? Well, how amazing that she wrote something that then had impact 30 years later, too. Incredible. Wow. And by the way, she's still alive. And, you know, she wrote a Star Trek continues about four or five years ago. So <sighs> gold star uh, Judy Burns. Really like, cool. That's really amazing. Cool. Yeah, this episode is great. And I also remember when it came back around and did the connection and my jaw just falling down, going, oh, my goodness. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. Wow. Because it was so neat. And you're clicking those pieces in. And. I just think the Tholians are so interesting. And this whole concept of the layers of space and everything, what a what a cool anomaly. And this one I had not thought of. So kudos. I like that this wasn't even on my long list. Yeah, I, I just always loved the idea of this interphasic space and that they they can't move the ship because they're trying to get Kirk back. And it's like kind of ripples in a lake. Yeah. If they if they move, it's gonna upset, you know, where the connection uh happens. Just always love that. Alex, any, any other thoughts on interphasic space and the Tholian web? <laughs> yeah, I love this. I'm in a TOS rewatch right now, and I'm in season three. And I think this one is, oh, cool. if it's not the next episode, it's the one after that. And I'm looking forward to getting there. It's definitely a highlight of the season as a whole. The Tholians are such a cool idea, mm-hmm. such yep. a cool race. The Tholian web's really cool. And interphasic space is really cool, not just because of the you know defiant appearing disappearing cook appearing disappearing which is very affecting kind of subplot to the episode but also as you say because of the way that then sort of infuses throughout the rest of the franchise reappearing in enterprise that brings us right back to tos again perfect 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 love it yeah i mean everybody loves the tholians i mean nobody doesn't love the tholians they're just so cool i see him there he is. It's the captain. I see him. There he is. It's the captain. All right. Let's go to round two. Alex, what's your number two spatial anomaly? Okay. Five word summary. Captain Janeway report to main engineering. Oh, yes. Hashtag spooky stories. This is <laughs> this is also a season six, episode 25. But in this case, it is Star Trek Voyager. And the episode is The Haunting of Deck 12. What a fantastic, brilliant choice. I did yes. not think of this. God, I didn't I, and great five words. I knew exactly as soon as you said that. So did I. Was. That was perfect. <laughs> you, but you know what the funny thing is? I did not think of this episode until the last round. And it just came into my head and I replaced an episode that that had been my number two pick, which I'll tell you about in secondary system. Really? Cool. Wow. Because I was like, I had not thought of it the whole time. It came into my head and I was like, nope, this episode has to be on my list. (laughs) I love the haunting of deck 12. Oh, so I know it's good. not super popular for with a lot of people. I guess cuz it's a Why? New and the Born It's so good. Story. I know. I love the haunting of deck 12. First of all, we're only 9 days past Halloween as it stands right now. So, mm-hmm. this is a Halloween episode of Star Trek Voyager, a scary story that may or may not be true. Turns out it is true that Neelix tells about Voyager catching a hitchhiker off of an anomaly that they were investigating, which turns out to be a life form who lived in the, in the like nebula um, anomaly. And then they uh, have to kind of, you know, send it back to a new one. And over the course of the episode, 
you know, the, they, so they encounter this anomaly, then the ship starts falling apart and here's the more than meets the eye. Turns out it's actually a life form that's trying to figure out how to use the ship to communicate what it needs. And the relationship between Janeway and the life form as it develops over the course of the episode is a really, really cool one. And so, yeah, Haunting of Deck 12, lots and lots of fun. Love it. I love this pick. I love this episode. And, and I picked it in my meta moments because it's got one of some of the best <laughs> Neelix uh, complaining about nitpickers when Echap keeps complaining about the story not making any sense. He's like, yeah, that doesn't matter. What, what matters is the, the story. Uh, fantastic pick. It's such an underrated episode. So cleverly frame just the way the narrative is told it's a really really unique episode of star trek abby what's your take well i want to piggyback on what you said about each being the nitpicker because <laughs> i teach young children and i do read alouds or storytelling and all that and there's always an each there's always a kid right. in there who's like yelling out as they raise their hand going but wait a minute but how about but didn't you mean or just looking at you and going no and Neelix is so good at like deflecting and answering enough, but not answering fully to keep the mood and to keep it moving and keep it going. And, you know, this is a fun episode when it all comes down to it. And I think that's why people don't always rank it as high as I think it should be because they don't think it's very serious, but I think there's many lessons to be learned from this one. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with a fun episode of star Trek. And this one has mood like very few episodes achieve. This has got a mood to it the whole way. Ooh, top five moody episodes. Mm. Two, two of them will be, have been picked on this episode: Times Square and, yep. then, uh, and the Haunting of Deck Twelve. I love it. Brilliant. Okay, Abby, what's your number two pick? All right, round two. My five words are invaders from the fifth dimension, yes. hashtag army of evil. <laughs> and this is Bride of Chaotica, season five, episode 12 of Voyager. Because how could I not? pick this. First of all, I love the purple anomalies showing up in the black and white <laughs> yes. holodeck. That is just such a cool visual. And I love the idea that these are all kind of like doorways to those photonic life forms. And it's almost like their neighborhood is just popping up and they're all opening their windows and going, oh, what's going on over here? And I think that's really neat. And even if the reason for all of this is a little convenient and never fully explored it is completely made up for the fact that this episode is just fun and kate mulgrew gets to play queen arachnia which makes this episode like comfort food after a hard day special and the costumes the score the lighting the fun that that they're all having obviously they come together so seamlessly and those last 15 minutes when they team up with the photonic life forms to defeat chaotica is why this is one of my top three holodeck episodes of all time and yes i am lobbying hard universe for an animated version to be in the hopeful next round of short treks <laughs> because everybody could reprise voice roles and it would be perfect a little Captain Proton Short Treks animation would be fantastic. Wouldn't it? I mean, listen, anytime Bride of Chaotica comes up on Trek Ranks, you just want to celebrate because it's that exactly. good. It's yep. it, it is a perfect, perfect episode of Star Trek. I did not think of it in terms of an anomaly, but those those little purple fissures that show mm -hmm. up uh, as the, the portal to the uh, photonic aliens. I love it. I love it so much. Uh, I love their death ray. It's a shame we don't have one. Uh, Alex, what's your take? What's your take on uh, the photonic aliens? 
I think the last two picks sort of demonstrate why anomalies are so great. It's because their story and plot devices do cool yes. things in an episode, right? Right. Like um, tell a scary story, uh, you know, do the kind of pulpy science fiction holodeck episode, uh, have an episode in which the ship is stuck in time, except for a few of our heroes. It's just like, it, you know, they're very cool visual effects many of the times, but they're also these great plot devices that open the door to really great storytelling. And, and what better kind of demonstration of that than Bride of Chaotica? You can't get much better than that one. I love it. Okay, let's close out round two with my pick. Five words and a hashtag. The Bermuda Triangle of Space hashtag. <laughs> Maki Anomaly. And it is <laughs> D-Space 9 Season 5, Episode 21, Blaze of Glory. And I'm choosing the Badlands, the area of space known for plasma storms and gravitational anomalies. And I love that it's on the it's I just love it as a plot device. That's really what it is. Uh, it's on the border of Cardassian space and Federation space. And it's just a great setup for ships in danger or lost or showdowns with other ships. It's just a really cool plot device that that uh, Deep, Deep Space Nine utilized and Voyager utilized at the beginning of uh, Caretaker uh, to get Voyager into the Delta Quadrant. So you have the Maquis, Defiant, Penumbra, Esri, Rescuing Wharf. I just love it all. And I, I chose Blaze of Glory because I just love the scene where uh, Cisco's got Eddington in the runabout and he just steps away from the controls and was like, all right, the Jem'Hadar closing in on us. You know your way around these kind of fiery plasma storms. You, you figure it out. It's really cool. Uh, awesome special effects from Gary Hutzel, the, uh, who died way too young. Uh, special effects genius for for 90s era Trek doing this kind of swirly fire plasma. Love it. The Badlands hasn't been picked yet. I wasn't sure if this one was going to come up at all. So Alex, what's your take on the Badlands? Yeah, this was a tough cut for me. Like you had a different choice for the Delphic Expanse. I I was considering Caretaker as my pick just because it's like smash cut to the Badlands and all this action and you don't know what's going on. And then that's where Voyager gets taken away from. But the special effects are so good. And Blaze of Glory is a really good one because they spend a lot of time in the Badlands, right? Unlike Voyager where it's like two minutes and then they're off to the Delta Quadrant. So yeah, really, really cool pick. Love the episode. You know, I mean, the... Cisco Eddington interactions uh, throughout that whole episode, that whole arc are, you know, really, really good. But yeah, Badlands, such a cool concept, really cool addition to Deep Space Nine when it came along. And obviously a great plot device to kind of send Voyager on its journey. Every time someone mentions the Badlands on Star Trek, you you just go, oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. I love the Badlands. Uh, Abby, what's your take? Well, I love the Badlands too. I think it is a great way to start up a lot of stories. And I think it's it's a great way to show that characters who don't have anywhere else to go, like you think about the Maquis hanging out in there, of course they're going to go somewhere like that because it's safety when you know the terrain and the other people don't. And that's in all sorts of different sci-fi. You see that, you know, these are the people who live here and you might think it's inhospitable and terrible, but guess what? We're making it work. And that's that's a cool concept. And I, of course, starting Voyager out to the Delta Quadrant, you can't get much better than that. So that was my secondary system for the Badlands. So I'm so glad we're getting to talk about it. Awesome. I'm glad I picked it. I wasn't sure if that one would be on anybody else's list. It's so well known. 
but also easy to kind of skip over too. There's so many, so many options for anomalies. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Round one, Alex. What is your number one spatial anomaly? It started right here in the future. That's why <laughs> yes. it's five word summary getting larger in the past. Hashtag it's the chicken and the egg will the chicken and the egg. <laughs> this is Star Trek, the next generation season seven. Also episode 25. That's three picks in a row that were episode 25. All good. Oh, that's things. amazing. That's amazing. Wait, is this an anomaly or call your mommy? What is going on here? Where is the anomaly? Where's your mommy? Well, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I love this episode. It's probably my favorite series finale from a Star Trek show. The Q stuff is great. The anomaly stuff is great. And I mean, this is a whole double episode feature length episode that is constructed around the existence of an anomaly that they don't understand and is causing trouble also ends up being even larger of an anomaly than the Delphic expanse, because when they go back to the start of human Mm -hmm. civilization at this point in the history, the anomaly covers the entire quadrant of your galaxy. Um, so uh yeah and 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 the whole like i mean the 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 idea of it getting larger in the past and the way that it starts is kind of weird because when they go back to visit it again it shouldn't be there if it's only getting larger in the past it shouldn't have like appeared but whatever we'll we'll set that aside who cares um, yeah who cares it makes perfect and the, sense and the solution the solution at the end with the static warp shell and you know the three ships and and you know they're and all the bouncing three around cells. yeah and the three mm-hmm. nacelles and and on the view screen they're in the anomaly and you see the you see the enterprises from three different perspectives Yes. And, you know, all of the like, uh, goodbye, Jean-Luc, you know, well, all good things must come to an end. Lo- I love these two. I love this series and this series finale so much. And when you said we were going to do top five anomalies, I immediately knew what my number one choice was. I immediately knew it was going to be all good things. See you out there. <laughs> okay. I love this pick. I It was immediately going to be on my list too, until I eliminated kind of temporal and alt reality stuff which so i'm so glad you picked it it is absolutely legendary and yes all good things it's not very debatable it's the greatest finale not just for star trek but literally one of the greatest tv finales ever it is absolute perfection incredible i love this pick i love q i love call your mommy abby (laughs) what is your (laughs) what is your take well, you can segue right into my number one pick because, Alex, we're on the same wave. Um, this was immediately going to be my number one when I got this topic, too. Like, there was never a doubt. And it is definitely my favorite finale of any complete Trek show. I don't know how all they're all going to end, so I'm leaving that open. But it is so beautiful. It wraps up so many pieces. It has the perfect amount of like mixing callbacks and extrapolation. It comes full circle with the series premiere. The time defying spatial anomaly is the ultimate puzzle. It's just great. And this is our family of the D coming together in every time. And that just never fails to leave my heart full and my feelings satisfied every single time I rewatch it. And this anomaly, I mean, this was the whole reason that humanity would or would not come into being. And, you know, passing Q's quote unquote test 
And I kind of hope that, you know, with Q coming back in Picard this next season, this might end up being the middle chapter. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that that really reframes it differently, too, on this rewatch. And I could not have picked anything else to be my number one. Abby, you were always welcome. <laughs> um, I love that you how you frame that the family of the D all coming. I mean, it's just perfect. It's just perfect. And you know, one thing I always like to remember about this, it has been kind of referenced in uh in Picard already. Because season one mm-hmm. Picard, you know, he makes choices based on the things that happened to him in all good things and related to his eromotic yeah. syndrome, knowing the way Worf and Jordy and those friends would react to him needing them is one of the reasons he doesn't ask them to help him when he needs a ship and he, and he leaves really cool. I do think you're right. This could end up being, you know, there could be another chapter in this story yet to be told in season two of Picard. Can't wait. Alex and the, the other anomaly, comments. my crew, my <laughs> ship. I suppose you're worried about your fish too. Put your mind at ease. You've saved humanity once again. So good. So good. Beautiful All right. Done. Awesome job. I'm so glad you guys picked this as a duplicate. And I'm glad that my number one pick has not been picked because honestly, this is my all-time favorite anomaly. It's one of the reasons we're doing this topic. It's a all-time classic episode of Star Trek. And it's just the coolest thing ever. I want to see it some more. Five words and a hashtag. Sentimental scientific exploration straight into hashtag the kitchen sink anomaly it is voyager <laughs> season six episode eight one small step and it's the graviton ellipse one of the great star trek terms that's out there i love it right up there with galorndon core it's the graviton ellipse it's a normal pocket of stable space surrounded by gravimetric distortion that pushes itself in and out of subspace and it's in like an elliptical oval shaped Looks like a football. I love it. Super cool phenomenon. And we've only seen it in Trek one time. I definitely want to see it more. Every time that I love that they reference that every time it's been seen, it basically overruns the ship because it gets drawn to the ship like a magnet when it comes out of subspace, except Voyager, of course, is able to kind of repel it and monitor it with a little help of some Borg techno babble, spatial anomaly 521 as designated by the Borg. The Ares 4 is the first recorded instance of earth ever encountering a spatial anomaly, which was the graviton ellipse. And yeah, I just, I love this thing. It's got the subspace energy and and the story in one small step is just all time. Great star Trek. It's number nine for me, my top 10 of Voyager. And it just mixes this really interesting sentimental need to explore and learn and gain knowledge and better yourself with kind of the scientific a uh, way that also can be done and and using seven's character and story arc is as kind of the catalyst of how to tell that story and the things that she learned through the experience. And I think it's a big moment for her and, and how it shapes her character moving forward. So I love the graviton ellipse and I hope we see more of it in the future. Uh, Alex, what's your take? Oh yeah. I love this episode. I mean, just the, you know, a great Chakotay episode. Yeah. All of the stuff about the Aries is fabulous. The flashbacks to seeing an earlier time from Earth space program, you know, the sort of fictional space program that happens after when the episode is set. You know, we do sort of see hints and bits of 
you know, um, the 52 stars on the uh, fragment of right. the ship from Casino Royale. But like, this is the first time you actually saw, you know, uh, humanity's flight to Saturn, right? Like, how cool is that to see somebody? I mean, I know we're on, you know, in the Delta Quadrant and on starships and everything, but it still feels very close and relatable of and the wonder associated with, well, you know, humanity makes it, makes it out to Saturn and then it makes it out to the Delta Quadrant. Um, and yeah, the Graviton Ellipse, I mean, you could say Graviton Ellipse, Graviton Ellipse, Graviton Ellipse a hundred <laughs> times and you'd still be having fun with it. I mean, and it's a cool idea, kitchen sink anomaly, you know, and, and all the kind of cool stuff that's in there, the visual effects behind it are very good. So yeah, this is a terrific episode. I love it. Uh, Abby, anything to take on it? Yeah, I really enjoy this episode as well. And I like in the flashbacks, um, one of the things that I like about Enterprise too is that you can almost see how that connects to where we are currently in time and where we're going to get to eventually in Star Trek. Right. And you see that kind of that movement on the spectrum of of from known to the future. And everything in those flashbacks looks like it's functional. It looks like it could work. It makes sense. And that kind of detail is what makes Star Trek phenomenal because you know, there was somebody over there going, okay, well, if this goes here, well, then this should go here. And it doesn't matter. It's a TV show, but it does matter. (laughs) And that's what makes this show so wonderful. And I also want to highlight how much I like this episode for Seven's growth. I mean, it's one of those times where it's facial acting. You get a lot of close up on Jerry Ryan in this one and you can see so much going on with just the tiniest movements and that is really really phenomenal acting yeah it's really good and shout out to uh, Lieutenant John Kelly played by Phil Morris our buddy third Romoticon <laughs> so one of, one of the one of the greats oh and it was directed by Robert Picardo which is really cool so he only directed a couple episodes but Let's see what you can do with the secondary systems. Okay, let's get into our secondary systems. Alex, <laughs> rattle off a few. What do you what else do you have? That's been- okay, yeah, let's just let's do a few here. So um shattered Voyager. Um, oh, the, yes. the anomaly that shatters the ship into different time periods. Good one. The, the one that I said that I cut from my number two choice, which I'm surprised nobody else picked. The Bajoran wormhole. Yes. Um, uh, emissary <laughs> was my on, pick. Definitely on my list. Yep. Emissary is a whole episode about an anomaly that they get to the bottom of. And this, you know, there's more to it than meets the eye. Uh, it's uh, it's a stable wormhole that allows them to travel to the Gamma Quadrant. The subspace compression anomaly from one little ship, that was yep. also really difficult to keep that one off my list. Obviously, Titan's Rift, cause and effect. Um, the Great Plume of Agasoria from Cold Front. <laughs> um, the, base, uh, the Basin Rift from Star Trek Nemesis. The Nexus from Star yes. Trek Generations. I thought you were going to pick the Nexus, yeah. Yeah, the Quantum Filament from Disaster. If I would have. <laughs> And The Void from The Void. I love it. What was the one you said before The Void? Oh, um, The Quantum Filament from Disaster. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cosmic String. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a different phenomenon. There. Just before the second time we were hit. See the subspace distortion? Yes. How big is a quantum filament? Well, it could be hundreds of meters long, but it has almost no mass, which makes it very difficult to detect. So... It's like a cosmic string. No, that's a completely different phenomenon. <laughs> that's from uh, from the loss. I love it. Okay, Abby, uh, rattle off a few. There's so many good ones. 
Yeah, Alex hit a couple of mine, but I've got, um, we had talked briefly about Anomaly from Enterprise, and we have to highlight that because it starts off everything in The Expanse. Yep. Yep, yep, I yep. had Brother from Discovery because all those synchronous red bursts from what we later call the Angel are just oh, that's cool. originally yeah. subspace anomalies. So I that's kind of cool. Yeah, that, that one was hard to cut because I wanted some newer Trek in my list, but I just couldn't let go of my picks. I've got um, Time Trap from the animated series and the Delta Triangle because interesting concept, whether or not it was done to what I think was the best way it could have been. And this is one that I I didn't think it was ever going to make my list, but it's fun. On Lower Decks and Strange Energies, the gluonic disruption that the Titan goes into <laughs> that distorts everybody. <laughs> that's some good few seconds of Trek right there. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. All right, I'll rattle off a few more. Alex, you were going so fast. I might, I might have some duplicates here. I can't, I couldn't, couldn't keep up. So I had, uh, I did have a hashtag, five words and a hashtag for anomaly. With my hashtag was going to be the, the original sphere data from uh, from Enterprise. I did you mention the Briar Patch? Nope. Oh, yeah. Right. So but I insert, the Kelbrock. Clock yes. uh, <laughs> I definitely w- was thinking the Briar Patch. That was one of my toughest cuts for sure. My other list was oh, I had the I had the Fair Duo. I had neck the Necrit Expanse from Fair Trade. And the particle density anomaly from Fairhaven. Yes. So uh, two uh, two Voyager ones. I had the Majoran wormhole. I had the Denorius belt, which is basically a charged plasma field with uh, tachyon eddies and neutrino disturbances. So uh, where the wormhole was found. And I think you mentioned Tyken's Rift. My special shout out just because of the mention in the Pente was for Tyken's Rift, a rupture in space. And on my list that I could not mention, I had immunity syndrome, which was organic, an oval for Corona, the sphere data kind of organic, the cloud from Voyager organic, mm-hmm. cosmic, the cosmic string from the loss, <laughs> the void, null space, Nagilum, where silence has least, which oh, yeah. is null, null space. Chaotic had, space. Yes. Oh, chaotic space is another good one. Yeah. Yep. All right, and then my final special shout out is just to Ion Storms. They're everywhere, <laughs> from court martial to die trying. You've got Ion Storms everywhere in Star Trek. That's a that, great Trek trope. That might be the first time in history that anyone's ever shouted out Ion Storms. By <laughs> yes. the way, <laughs> just, a, just a shout out to Ion Storms. They're everywhere. All right, great fun topic. I knew we'd get some good deep cut picks and some elements in Trek that we don't always talk about. So this has been fun. Let's get into our regeneration cycle and recap our picks. Computer, activate regeneration cycle. Alcoves beta and gamma. Okay, Alex and Abby, recap your picks, Alex. So my number five pick, Star Trek The Motion Picture and Vija. My number four pick, uh, Star Trek Enterprise, Harbinger, and the Delphic Expanse. Number three, Star Trek The Next Generation, Timescape, and the Romulan Warp Core Temporal Anomalies. Number two, uh, Star Trek Voyager, The Haunting of Deck 12, and the Nebula that turns out to be an anomaly, that turns out to be a life form. And number one, the anti-time anomaly from Star Trek The Next Generation, All Good Things. I love it. So you had two from TNG and then one each from TOS, Enterprise, and Voyager. And I'm breaking it down. You had two temporal, one organic, and two that were man-made. So all of your uh, more than meets the eye kind of fits that for sure. Abby, how about you break down your five? 
My round five was the spatial anomaly funnel in Times Squared, TNG. My round four was the distortion ring from Voyager episode Twisted. My round three was the convergence of anomalies where they found the sphere builder in Harbinger from Enterprise. My number two were those invaders from the fifth dimension, our photonic friends from the Bride of Chaotica in Voyager. And round one, bring on the anti-time, all good things, TNG. I love it. So you had two from TNG, two from Voyager, and one from Enterprise, and your breakdown was two kind of atmospheric weather ones, one man-made, one original and one alternate reality. I, for all good things, I did one temporal, one all good, one uh, alternate reality, since it's literally both. <laughs> it's also kind of man-made because it's cute. That rascal. Okay, my list. Number... Helping hand pot, though. What? That was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my list, number five, was the Galileo 7, the Murasaki 312 Quasar. Number four was the catwalk from Enterprise, a class five neutronic storm wavefront. My number three was the Tholian web from TOS and the spatial interface. Number two from Deep Space Nine, Blaze of Glory, the Badlands. And number one was from Voyager, one small step, the Graviton Ellipse. I love it. So I had two from TOS and then one each from Enterprise, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. And four of mine were like atmospheric weather-related ones. And I'm going to count the Tholian web as kind of alternate reality one, even though it checks a few boxes. So there's no record of any spatial anomalies in this region. Okay. So breaking down these stats, uh, we had two duplicate picks. And then I broke it down between five different categories of anomaly. There was two organic slash life form anomalies. There was... Uh, two temporal anomalies, two alternate kind of realm uh, anomalies, and then three that were man-made. And then the rest six were kind of like atmospheric weather-related anomalies. And the series breakdown, there was nothing from Short Treks, Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, Prodigy, or Kelvin Timeline. We had one film mentioned. We had one from Deep Space Nine, and then the rest is really spread around. It's really cool. TOS and Enterprise each had three, and TNG and Voyager each had four. So that was an awesome topic. I knew we'd uh, get into some great deep cut picks and some elements of Trek that we don't really talk about before. But as we do every week, we've been hit by a temporal distortion, which is kind of like a spatial anomaly. So before we can depart, it's time to hear from you. The temporal distortions are fracturing space-time throughout the ship. Cause? Unknown. Oh, we know the cause, Mr. Tuvok. It's all the amazing feedback that we continue to receive from our listeners here at Trek Ranks. And this week's temporal distortion has sent us back to episode 120 in our top five DAX episodes. And we got in an awesome voicemail from a new listener, Nate Perkins, who is on Twitter at Nate underscore underscore Perkins. And he has an awesome list, including one hashtag that definitely made me LOL, quite literally. So here is Nate's voicemail. Hello, this is Nate Perkins. You can find me at Nate underscore underscore Perkins. Only found the show about a week and a half ago, but I'm almost caught up and I figured I'd skip ahead to the Dax episode so I could actually get one of these voicemails in. Um, so I'm just going to go in order. My number five is Facets. My five words are Dax, 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 
Dax with the hashtag Oh No Odo. I think that you can't have a ranking of Dax episodes without the episode where Dax talks to Dax, and it's just Jadzia interacting with all of her former hosts. It gives a lot of insight into the character, in particular the circumstances of Jadzia getting the symbiont, and the whole Odo Curzon storyline is just positively hilarious. Number four, I'm leaning into the no wrong answers. I have Equilibrium and Field of Fire with five words of half our population can be joined and hashtag Duran Duran the music and murder man. I feel like Duran was a underutilized character, at least action-wise. Like, you can tell a few times when Judzia is acting under the influence of Duran, but it's not really very large. I just think they could have done a lot of interesting things with that. They didn't, which is fine, but I just, in general, love the character. At number three, I have You Are Cordially Invited. Five words, the Klingons killed their gods, and hashtag the path to Kalhaya. Yes, my hashtag doesn't have to do with the actual Dax part of the story, but Kalhaya's great. And this episode does a lot for characterization of Jadzia and what she cares about. At number two, I have Blood Oath. Five words, could have gotten into Stovacor. Hashtag today is a good day to live. I find it funny that in... Season 7, when Worf saw Ojadzia get into Sovkor, one of the reasons is she didn't eat the heart of one of her enemies, and part of the blood oath was to eat the heart of the albino, so she could have gotten into Sovkor much easier. That's just a funny thing. It also does a lot with, like, her relationship with the Klingons, Jadzia's need to, like, fulfill Curzon's oath, and just a lot of good characterization, and the episode is just fantastic. And then at number 1, I have After Image, Five words. Judzia liked it. I don't. Hashtag new old character or old new character. And there, the moment I saw this episode, I knew what my number one was going to be. It was going to be After Image. Esri is fantastic. So Nate's voicemail cloaked out there a little at the end. It got cut off, but I'm excited that we were we got all five picks in right before it cut off. And I love his number one going to Esri and After Image. And the hashtag that made me LOL was his pick for Duran in Equilibrium and Field of Fire is number four pick. That hashtag, Duran Duran, the music and murder man. So, <laughs> just so good. So good. God, that made me laugh. All right. Once again, those picks definitely good enough to clear ourselves from this week's temporal distortion. So as always, I want to thank everyone for your great responses to the Trek Ranks podcast. Please keep your list coming to me at Trek Ranks on Twitter so we can retweet them. But we also want to hear from you. So put together your own list of top five spatial anomalies or a list from any of our past shows. Give us a call at the Tricorder Transmissions at 609-512-5527. That's 609-512-LLAP. So hopefully we'll hear from you so you can be featured on the next episode of Trek Ranks. And on the next episode of Trek Ranks, we are doing the top five episodes that make you feel like a kid again. But if you're a regular listener, we already previewed that topic at the end of episode 121, which was our top five Delta Quadrant species, because we had to shuffle our schedule. So our previous episode to this one is our top five lower deck season two moments. So because I'm insane and I like to have it all wrapped up in a pretty little bow, I'm going to ask you guys your favorite lower decks season two moment going backwards to our previous episode. Got it? Number 122. Okay, here we go. What do you got, Alex? What's your what's your lower deck shout out you want to give? 
My favorite moment in Lower Deck season two, uh, let's say, I mean, first, first contact. What a terrific season finale. <laughs> so, so, so good. Uh, Abby, any uh, Lower Deck shout outs you want to give? All right. I have to say that it had been a long time since I experienced as much pure joy as I did when they referenced the rubber ducky room because oh, I am God, yeah. that kind of nerd. And it was perfect. And I loved it. But can you indulge me for one moment? And I can do my feel like a kid again. Okay, let's do it. Let's do let's do them both. What do you got your feel right. like a kid again? Because I listen and I knew this was coming. I want to say how much I love Prodigy and I'm watching with my own kids. And it was my dad who got me into Trek and watching Lost and Found with my two girls on either side oh. of me was the highlight of my fall. And they are obsessed and they are drawing it. They are playing it. They are singing about it. They are asking, when is it Thursday again? I mean, we have played Murph in this house so much that the word Murph doesn't even mean anything anymore. It's been said so much. And that needs to be out there in the universe that this is continuing track to the next generation. And I experienced it firsthand and it was glorious. I love that you did that. That is so great because we recorded that before Prodigy dropped, so it will not be featured. But of course, it actually, when we were recording, I was like, oh, this actually would have been a good preview episode for Prodigy. Make you feel like a kid again. Uh, Alex, anyone you want to throw out there? I'm not even going to try. I can't beat that. Oh, oh you, really, you really can't. It was <laughs> so, so good. I appreciate you saying that, Abby. It really, Prodigy is really special. And, and it's going to do exactly what they've designed it to do. You can already see how it's going to connect with a different uh, demographic. All right, let's wrap it up. A huge thanks to Alexander Perry and Abby Summer. It was great to have you guys on as always. I was wondering if you could show me how to access these subspace communications logs. And we're going to do that right now, Mr. Neelix. So any Trek subspace communications you guys want to relay before we depart, Alex. We need to enter the center of the anomaly and create a <laughs> static warp shell. Just so everybody knows, he knows these by heart. It's uh, it's it's terrifying. Uh, it's amazing. It's, it's, it is. Watch Way of the Warrior with this guy, and he will literally the whole thing. It's incredible. Abby, uh, thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure. It really was a highlight of my day. Fantastic. I love it, and. Uh, thanks to everyone for engaging with us again here on episode 123 of the Trek Ranks podcast. As always, I want to close by saying I'm looking forward to standing with you again here in this place where I belong. Captain Janeway, report to engineering. Not until you restore life support and give me back control of my ship. Unable to comply. Captain Janeway, report to engineering.
Just want to remind everyone again that the entire Trek Ranks catalog is available for you to download and listen to at trekranks.com and on your podcast player of choice. Our episodes never get carbon data, so check out the topics you've missed and maybe just want to listen to again over at trekranks.com. And a reminder to check out our friends 5-Year Mission at 5yearmission.net. They're writing a song for every episode of Star Trek, and you won't believe how great their music is. They also have a podcast at the Trek Geeks Network, so seek them out. You won't regret it. Both of the other ships have been destroyed. Two down, one to go. Data report. The anomaly has nearly collapsed. We're losing containment. Goodbye, Jean-Luc. I'm going to miss you. You had such potential. But then again, all good things must come to an end. Containment field is critical. I'm losing it. Ah!